Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to City Church. We appreciate you being with us. I'm receiving a phone call from Akron. I'm going to go ahead and ignore that. It's not something I need to worry about. I doubt that was important. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, today we're celebrating new life. We're, we're celebrating how we can be renewed in Christ as followers of his. Uh, a couple of things. One, I don't know if you've ever met me before. Several of you have, probably, like everyone, right? But you may not know this. I have this little habit of uh, speaking down on myself. Just a little bit, right? Uh, making fun of myself, pointing out my flaws, and just basically, I want to say, I have no good words for this, but just being mean to myself, being derogatory towards myself all the time. And I get yelled at a lot by many of you for this, and I appreciate your yelling. Uh, thank you. It makes me feel good sometimes. Whenever you are like, no, you don't stink that bad. You're just a little bad. I'm like, yes. And you may not realize this, but that is actually a symptom of something that is weird and different. It's a symptom not of me being super humble, because I'm totally not. It's actually a symptom of me being prideful. Because oftentimes the reason why I focus on my negative qualities is because if I don't, I end up thinking, man, I'm super awesome. I'm just like the best. Everyone should be like me. Everyone should want to be. And no, I'm not really like that. Trust me. I don't think everyone should be like me. But I have this habit of if I focus on what I think are my good qualities, I can become super non-humble in them, right? Super prideful in them. And so to combat that as a defense mechanism, I often make fun of myself way too much and do so in ways that are actually harmful to the community and harmful to myself. And there's a reason why that happens, and that's because sometimes, strangely enough, I forget who I am in Jesus. I forget what he has done for me, what he has offered for me, and what he has provided for me through his life and his death and his resurrection. See, I forget that I am a new creation made in him for his glory, and that humility is recognizing who I am in him. It's not falsely saying things that are dumb about myself. So let's talk about this concept of new creation. In this section of scripture, we see this. Therefore, if anyone has, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation, and the old has passed away, and the new has come. And that sounds amazing, right? Like, I love this concept. Why is it not showing me what I'm supposed to be seeing? I love this concept, that we no longer are beholden to who we were before we knew Jesus, but we are instead new in him. And this makes me happy so much. And this is one thing that we can first just remember that we can take away. Anytime we encounter Jesus and anytime we encounter what he's doing in scripture, if you want to know what you can take away from seeing Jesus, this is it. You can have new life in him. You can. Your life doesn't have to be the same. But how? How can I have new life? What does that mean? What does it look like? And what does it even begin to seem like, right? And it's easy to start in this way. Everyone knows John 3, 16, but we sometimes ignore the parts that come before it. It says this. Jesus answered him. He's speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I've said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know from where it comes or from where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born in the Spirit. We talk about new life, and you may think, oh, this is interesting. What do you mean by that? And we say, well, you can be born a second time. You can be born again. And you'd be like, what does that mean? Who here thinks that sounds ridiculous, right? Right? It does. It sounds dumb. Strangely enough, Jesus said it, so it takes it away from the ridiculousness of it a little bit, right? We can say things are ridiculous until they come out of the God-man's mouth, the one who actually speaks truth perfectly. If he says it's possible, it's possible. What does it mean? There's some stuff to this, right? He points out the fact you be born of water and of spirit. By water, he means literal physical birth. They considered women's births to be births of water. Uh, probably because of the concept of water breaking, honestly. That was a water birth. But then he also talked about a spiritual birth, a rebirth, a new birth, if you will. And what does that look like? In 2 Corinthians 2, 18 through 21, this is the verse that's immediately preceding that verse that came beforehand, that one that talked about how everything is created anew. This is what comes next. Says that all of this is through God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. How is it possible to be born again? How is it possible to be made a new creation? It's through Jesus and what he did. And this concept is called the great exchange. It's what Martin Luther called it. It's this concept that Jesus was something perfect and good and righteous and holy, never deserving death, never deserving corruption, never deserving anything that can be the negative aspects of this world, not deserving of the effects of sin or the results of the fall. He didn't deserve any of it, right? God made him to be a sin offering on our behalf. Because those things that he didn't deserve, we do. We are sinful people. We make mistakes. We do not glorify God perfectly. We are not great in everything we do, right? We're not even good in everything we do. And sometimes we are downright bad in the things we do. So we deserve the effects of the fall. He didn't. God made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering on our behalf that we might get what he deserved, right standing or righteousness before God. Jesus took on himself the effects of the world so that we don't have to taste them. And if you believe that and know that, you can have new life in him. If you believe in Christ and what he has done, you can have new life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's John 3, 16. It's following Nicodemus's question. Nicodemus is asking Jesus, how can this be? What do you mean? How do I be born again? And Jesus said, believe in me and what I've done. So, 
If you would like new life and to taste new life and to be able to say that who you were is not who you are and be able to say that you have had someone overcome everything that is broken about you and has offered you a complete fresh start in front of God, if you want to know that, all you have to do is to believe in Jesus and what he's done. That he lived perfectly, that he died on your behalf, that he rose again, that you might be a new creation. Does that make sense? So what? <laughs> what then? Many of the people sitting in this room today probably believe in Jesus and what he's done, else you likely wouldn't be hanging out in a random church building on Sunday morning, right? So what? What comes next? In Colossians 3, 1 through 11, we see this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seating in the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and in your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing as you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Take off your old self and put on your new as it is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Basically, as you are a follower of Christ, we are called as his people to learn more and more about him and who he is and his character and what he's done and what he values and doesn't value. We are called to actually learn more and more about him, but that learning is not where it stops, right? Who here has seen or met someone who has learned a lot about Jesus but did not do a great job of showing Jesus to the world? Uh, me, to note, half of the people I consider history of the faith like heroes are people like this, right? I enjoy the works of Martin Luther. I dislike the works of Martin Luther, right? I like his writings. I dislike what he actually did. I enjoy the writings of John Calvin. I supremely dislike the things John Calvin did. I've seen people who have great knowledge of the Bible and what they've done, but who don't live lives that look like Jesus. I don't see Jesus choosing to have a child stoned to death because he disobeyed his parents, which John Calvin actually did in Geneva. I've seen this in people that I love today. How many current Bible people do like, you like or do I really like who you're hearing all these horrible things about them and what they have done and lived like for years, how they are mean to the people that are on their staffs, how they're angry, how they're uh, uncouth how they do not properly care for the words they're using, how they are actually like derogatory towards the men and women who are serving with them and underneath them. And yet they super know the Bible well. Now here's the deal. One of the reasons why I sometimes am very derogatory towards myself is because I'm very scared that I could be that. I am. Because I super could be. But don't have to be. You see, knowledge is where our learning about God is supposed to end. Knowledge is a means to be able to start having changed lives. We can be renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of our creator. As we learn more and more about his image, who he is, 
this can change the way we live. So what? In this there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but in Christ is all, and he is in all. See, there is no difference between anyone who is in Christ. He is supreme over everything, and he takes precedence over everything. And so you can have life change. You can take off the old, and you can put on the new. But what? What does it mean to put off the old self? This is for you who are followers of Jesus. Now, if you follow him and you would like to, what does it look like to be transformed by him? This concept of being transformed into the image of Jesus is a big word called sanctification, which means the gradual way in which Jesus transforms people from looking like their old selves into looking like the new person he has created them to be. And this process is ongoing. It runs for your entire life. It will last all the way until Jesus returns or you go to him. Or you die, right? That's it. It will last until you are finally with him. And so as you go about your lives, these are some things to stop and take, uh, I want to say take, I've lost the word. It's gone forever. You can actually hold on to these. Uh, you can consider them as you're moving forward in your life, right? What are we supposed to put off? In that previous section of Scripture, in Colossians 3, 1 through 11, there are some things they specifically say to put off. It literally says, put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death that which is of the world and not of God. And it gives you some examples of what these things are. It says immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All of those things are idolatry. Idolatry is to worship or love something more than you worship or love God. To put something above your relationship with him. And all of those things are obviously that, right? <sighs> put them off. Put them to death. It also says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these, you once walked when you were living in them. So this is what your old self was living in. It also says you must put these away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And then it says do not lie to each other. Just consider that concept. We are to put away the concepts of anger, wrath, and malice. Who here thinks within our current political climate we're doing a great job of putting away anger, wrath, and malice? We're so good at it. So good. Oh, I looked down at all those other people who are so bad at it. Wait, there we go. I'm stepping back into the idolatry aspect, worshiping myself instead of God. We are to put them away. So I want you to consider this. Does your life, is it defined by anger, wrathfulness, malice, obscene talk, and slander? Is that what your life looks like? And if so, I don't have a better way to say this than this. Just stop it. Don't do it anymore. You don't have to if you're his. He has enabled you to not be. Recognize that it's not appropriate, that it's not right, that it's wrong. Recognize it, acknowledge it, and put it away. Please note, this is not a judgy thing. I have no right to judge anybody. If I judge you, I'm judging myself and condemning myself, because if I judge you, I am guilty because I commit the exact same sin. That's in Romans. 
but I can call for you to be reconciled with God. Just like I can call for myself to be reconciled with God. I can point out, hey, this doesn't seem to be a godly aspect of your life. Perhaps if you would like to be in close relationship with him, this is one thing that you can change. That's what we're doing here today. How are you, as a follower of Christ, supposed to be different than the world? The world is supposed to look like this, and it does much of the time. We are not supposed to. Don't do it. Stop it. Stop it. I feel like that fix-it guy from SNL. Just fix it. Right? And it says, seeing that you have put off the old, your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Put these things away because you're to put away your old self and put on your new. What are we supposed to put on? If your life is not supposed to look like that, what is it supposed to look like? Luckily, they answer that in the very next section of Scripture as well, in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. By the way, if you know him, that is you. You are one of God's chosen people, and you are loved by him, and you are holy because of him. You are set apart as righteous, and you are set apart as God's because of who he is and what he has done. So if you, first of all, everyone know what your own personal identity is, just think real quick there. You are one of God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. It says to clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It says to bear with each other. I love that. First of all, bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's pretty big, right? What would it look like if the church looked like this? If we as the body looked like this? If we clothed ourselves with compassion towards others? If we were kind and humble in our actions? If we were gentle and patient with those who were around us? Not angry, not quick to anger, not quick to, to judge, not quick to be mean, not quick to yell, not quick to throw away people as if they're not worthwhile. What would it look like if we were actually kind and humble in spirit and contrite in heart? If we recognized who we were before the world? And if we loved the world like Jesus did? What did Jesus give up for the world? Seriously, someone answer that. It's really easy. His life everything he gave up of himself he took away everything he deserved and handed it to us if that is what Jesus did for us and if we are called to be like Jesus and introduce Jesus to the world what are we supposed to do for the world be willing to give ourselves up for it and now here becomes my part this is seriously 
I just, I, I just love it. I love the fact that it doesn't say be happy with each other all the time, enjoy everything you do together all the time, uh, just really like how well everything comes together. I love the fact whenever he's talking about community, the first thing he says is bear with each other. Just bear with each other. Because sometimes even followers of Christ suck. Trust me. I know. Because sometimes I suck. Derogatory. But you're supposed to bear with each other, right? And so recognize that each other is flawed and not yet perfect. Recognize that everyone is moving towards Christ at different paces. And bear with one another in this. And whenever they sin against you, forgive them. Because Jesus forgave you the same way. And what do you wrap up all this with? What is your final outer garment you show everyone? Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Paul talks about love a lot. Everyone's heard the love is patient, love is kind, blah, 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 right? Who here hasn't seen that in a random Mandy Moore movie? Or some other avenue? I'm really old, if you can't tell. Hi, youngins. Trust me, that was a movie called A Walk to Remember. Okay. <laughs> Let me walk you through this. Mandy Moore was a singer. No, okay. Yeah. Love, in that section of scripture, is all about how that is how we are supposed to be in everything. And that if we have any of the gifts of the Spirit, but we don't act out of them in love, we're worthless. If I have, if I could speak of the tongues of men or even angels, but I have not love, I'm just a clanging cymbal or pounding drum. Love is what matters, right? So in everything you do, if you would really like to know how you can be like Jesus in the world, it's very simple. Stop what you're doing anytime. Take a deep breath before you react to anything that's happening around you and stop and say, is what I'm about to do loving? Am I demonstrating love through what I do next? If you do that, you look like Jesus. So recap, what is it if you don't know Jesus, if you want new life, if you would like to be renewed in him and be able to put off this old self and be able to step into a new and fresh life, believe and know what he did. If you're a follower of Christ, start putting it into action. Recognize those things that are not godly in your life and put them away. And recognize those things that are godly and begin to actually live more and more like them. As you do this, begin to be more and more like him, right? So what's next? Where do we go from here? If you would like one very easy way that you can step into the next stage of your life with Christ, if you're a follower of his, one of the things you can do is be baptized in him, right? Jesus literally said that one of the first things he did, the very first way he started his own ministry, dude is perfect, lived his life wonderfully with no problems whatsoever. He never did anything wrong, and yet he still walked to the River Jordan and sat down with John the Baptist. I probably didn't sit down yet because you get all wet. He hung out with John the Baptist and he said, I'd like you to baptize me. And John's like, what? No, 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 no. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. There's no reason why I should baptize you. You're super awesome. I'm not. And Jesus says, no, you're right. But I'd still like you to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. The first thing he did in his ministry this is how his ministry was actually inaugurated. The first thing he did was be baptized. 
And then, do you know what he said whenever he was talking about what we're supposed to do as his church? You know the first thing he mentioned that we're supposed to do? It says, go forth into the world to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything he has commanded. So if you would like to know a nice first step in your walk with Jesus, baptism is one of those things that you can do. In Romans 6, 4, we read this. We were buried, therefore, with Christ in baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you would like your life to be renewed, you can do so. Just start following after him. What did I do? Did I do something wrong? Okay. All right. <laughs> Up. All right. If you would like to begin this transformation in your life and you haven't done so, consider being baptized. We're going to be baptizing someone today and I'm super excited to do so. Whenever we baptize, we are symbolically tying ourselves into Christ's death. Whenever we go underwater, we are saying with him, as he has died, we have died. And whenever we come back up out of the water, we are symbolizing our renewed life with him, being born again with him, and being brought up out of the grave with him. This is what baptism is. And so, we're going to actually all stand up. We're going to go call the kids and bring them outside with us. And we're going to go baptize right now. So everyone stand up. Let's go. We're going outside.